Welcome to the 11th of Major Race Canada recap episode of the UR Team Number Podcast. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the guy who's proud to be Canadian, as long as that means he can engage in fisticuffs during sporting events, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Uh, you can tweet us as always using the hashtag Yattencast or email us at yattencast at gmail.com. And what did we think of this episode? Um, I don't have too much to say about the tasks overall for this week. But I think there's a couple of other incidents where there is a lot more to say about for this week. Yeah, something that is going to make this gloriously awkward next week. I cannot <laughs> wait for the After the Race special, and that is the first time anyone has ever said that sentence. Yeah, the reunion show special next week is, or I guess only in four days, is probably going to be one of the most awkward pieces of reality television ever. And even better, it involves James Duthie, which makes it more awkward. Yes. Has James Duthie asked people to send in questions for the After the Race special yet? I've not seen anything, and the, I don't even think there was a banner in the episode saying, don't forget the After the Race on Wednesday. Maybe there won't be one. I'm pretty sure there is one. <laughs> There should be, yeah. I can I can easily check my TV guide upstairs and see if it's yeah, see if it's uh on. I, I assume it will be. I just want to see the announcement of Gino and Jesse as the winners of the Fuel Yelf Casual Fan Favorite Poll. Yeah, because breaking news, this just came out a couple days ago, I think, where initially we were saying last week how Dean and Mando were in second place, trailing Gino and Jesse by only twenty thousand votes only, and then everyone else was at twenty. 25,000 votes or lower, I think. And to put it in perspective, I think it was Gino and Jesse at 90,000, Dan and Amanda at 70,000. So it's really just a two-horse race. And then a couple days ago, I guess the whoever runs the fan favorite poll on the CTV website started verifying all the accounts that I've been saying and sending in votes. And suddenly half of Dan and Amanda's votes have disappeared. But they're still in second with 35,000, and Gino and Jesse's votes were all authenticated, so they're in first place with 100,000 votes. And this was right before the episode uh, aired on Thursday night. So now that Gino and Jesse suddenly have a ton of their fans turning against them, when they're too far ahead that nobody can catch them in the fan favorite poll. So when they're announced as the winners next week, uh, in the fan favorite poll that is, everyone's not going to know how to react, because their whole fan, a huge chunk of their fan base has been wiped out as of Thursday night. Uh, so, previously, five teams raced through the wonderful Okanagan Valley, where a double U-turn meant absolutely nothing, despite what John Montgomery would have you believe. Gino and Jesse decided to U-turn Nick and Matt so that they could win the leg. Brent and Sean shot everyone by finishing a very physical leg in second, and Simeon Opie never gave up, which left Dujon and Leilani eliminated. Who supposedly persevered through the end. And teams must now fly to Edmonton and find the City Hall, where they need to interrupt the Justice of the Peace, who's performing a wedding to receive their next clue. And they have $780 for this leg of the race. Is that a record? That is... Definitely the highest of the season. I can't recall a time where it's ever been that close to $1,000 in money provided for a leg of the race. No. Um, we did have a question about this, which is from Mark Doyle asking, how do they actually determine the amount of money that teams receive? And thanks to reading Gordon Wayne's blog for once this week, I know that Edmonton's cabs are apparently horrendously expensive. Yes, and just because um, I've been to Edmonton myself... And just knowing some of the locations they went to are pretty far apart in the city, so it's you know it's not a it's not a big surprise that the cab bill, if you you know with four or five tasks during the day and having to go to opposite sides of town, that's that's gonna rack up. I still think it's a lot though. Seven hundred eighty is still still a lot of money just to drive around all across Edmonton in one day. Even Moscow is Moscow is one of the most notorious cities for expensive taxis. And the Amazing Race 13 and 17, the other seasons, never gave anywhere near that amount of money. I think they gave out like four or five hundred dollars, I think, for the day. And even that was uh, everyone was taken aback by how much teams were being given. So I think I think just with the whole sponsor through BMO. The idea of giving teams a ton of money almost looks good on them, because they really are here to help so that no team ever goes broke during the race. Yeah, last week's money was more because teams had to give it all to charity the week before. So they, mm -hmm. they had to give teams a working amount of money at least. 
because otherwise it'd be uh, a bit more difficult for them, even on the self-drive one. Like, to put the $780 in perspective, to fly round trip between Vancouver and Toronto is usually around $700. So it's tough to imagine that taxi rides around Edmonton is more expensive than doing a round trip uh, around the country in Canada. And just because I love mentioning them, thank you to the Tark producers for continually giving us departure times, by the way. I love you lots for that. Yeah, Gino and Jesse really whooped everybody uh, in the in the last leg. Yeah, they were two hours ahead, nearly. One forty-one, they departed at. Brent and Sean departed at 3.35, uh, Nick and Matt at 3.45, and Simeon Opie at 4.45. However, more importantly, weren't Nick and Matt, like, at the same time as Brent and Sean when they checked in? I have, maybe there was some unaired... 10-minute production time credit that could have easily happened. Yeah, this is one of the more blatant examples of a production time credit, I believe. Unless Nick and Matt went way off in the wrong direction and the foot race to the pit stop. Well, they they appeared basically as soon as John said, Brent and Sean, you're team number two. I think. Yeah, maybe there was some sort of... Well, I guess it wouldn't be a time credit. It'd be, if anything, a time penalty for Nick and Matt that was 10 minutes. Who knows what it could be. And we get a gloriously awkward airport scene. Yeah, I that too. Do you know who got eliminated? Not us. <laughs> Not us. The ones who got U-turned by you bastards. <laughs> oh man, that that whole scene in the... Because with Penticton, it's a smaller town than the town I live in, the Okanagan, and, and we don't have an airport. So the Penticton Airport, just by seeing how it looked last week, it must be a tiny, tiny airport. So they pretty much had no choice but just be in that same fast food place within the airport. Oh, that must have been... I don't know if it was even awkward so much for the teams as it was for the two or three other people who were flying out of Penticton Airport that morning, or that afternoon, rather. If it was that late in the afternoon when they departed, I guess teams must have stayed overnight... In Penticton, then? Because that was, you know, when Simeon Opie get to the airport, it's probably 6 o'clock in the evening. Yeah, because you assume, even if it was a 12-hour pit stop, which it wasn't, that would mean Gino and Jesse checked in at about 20 to 2 in the morning. And it was definitely light, so it's probably a 24-hour pit stop at least. 24-hour pit stop, plus they stayed overnight at the airport. So that's two days that producers were willing to just use up without before uh, going to Edmonton, which is kind of surprising because, you know, just from here to Edmonton, for me anyway, is less than a 12-hour drive. So it's, it's not a huge distance for flying by amazing race standards. I think it's it would just be an hour-and-a-half flight at the most. Yeah, because it was next morning, wasn't it? I'd assume that, well, they flew via Vancouver, so they probably stayed overnight in Vancouver. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's right. Yeah, if anything, yeah, you'd fly from Penticton to Vancouver to Edmonton, which is really inefficient uh, flight-wise. Because when I visited Vancouver last weekend, I was on a flight back to Kelowna that was connect was going from that was connecting through Kelowna and then going onwards to Edmonton. So it's super inefficient that way. I'm surprised they didn't just make teams drive to the Kelowna airport and then just fly from Kelowna to Edmonton. It would make more logistic sense that way. Then again, they'd have to put an hours of operation at the City Hall, probably. For whatever reason, they wanted to fly through Vancouver. And when they got to Edmonton, Gino and Jesse were so unbelievably awkward around the Justice of the Peace as well. Yeah, just, they were just standing there and watching. <laughs> I don't want to do this! <laughs> well, don't go on the race then, you burp. It's like, yes, yes, Gino and Jesse, the producers are making you rudely interrupt a wedding and nobody no, and none of them have a clue in their hand at all and have no idea what's going on and are just being filmed without their consent by multiple cameras. Is this what you're looking for? Oh, uh, that you know what would be great is that if Gino and Jesse use that as their line and and, and instead of uh, it being a clue that the justice, justice of the peace gives, rather for them it's a middle finger to all the casual fans. Is this what you're looking for? I just love how enthusiastic the Justice of the Peace was about letting people interrupt her wedding. It must have been a super fan of some sort. I feel like, especially with how much they were showing her and the Justice of the Peace's dialogue, my gut instinct tells me that there is some sort of inside joke with production as to who that is, but the audience isn't isn't in on it. So you're telling me that there are NPCs in this leg that are super fans of the race? 
Oh, I, yeah, it was just the justice of the piece, I think, and nobody else. So, but yeah, that that was sort of an amusing scene with just how into it she was, where she was more than happy to delay the the wedding as much as she possibly could, just so she could interact with teams in a frantic hurry on the Amazing Race Canada. What would have been funnier is if, if she would have said, "Listen, wait, I'm doing this." Yeah, shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> And even better, Simi just stands there and goes, We object, sorry. Yeah, we uh, It was like she took a lesson from Donkey and Shrek, where he said, And remember, Simi, when you go into the wedding, you remember to yell, I object. So once teams object to the wedding, which they really don't have to do, uh, they find out they have to go to the Edmonton Waste Management Centre and search for the next clue. The Waste Management Centre. That's that's a tourist attraction in Edmonton. That's the that's the big thing to do. That's literally the shit part of town. <laughs> yes, right next to Crackton. And once there, it's a detour, a blind detour to be precise. Is that the first blind detour for Masonry's Canada? I can't remember if they did one in season two. Oh, I guess it couldn't. It couldn't have been season two because blind tour, blind detours hadn't even existed yet. Yeah, it was season twenty-five. They started doing blind detours with the slippery pole in Malta. I don't get the purpose for the blind detour this round. It added nothing to the leg. At least it's not called this or that. Yeah. But yeah, Amazing Race Canada produces, if you're gonna steal stuff from America, how about you abandon the double express pass, please? And don't do blind detours? Just pointing something out, because if you remember, Amazing Race 24 was the last time we saw a double express pass in the US, and that was crap. So, you know, maybe stop dragging your seasons down by using the double express pass. Bring over the salvage pass. Salvage pass is awesome. Yeah, start borrow, borrow stuff from the Aussies, which they are kind of dealing with the face-off. No, because Australians have never done it. Well, I mean, they they had the tug-of-war in the Australia versus the New Zealand task. That's that's just a, just a mass face-off. Yeah, that wasn't really a proper face-off, though. The thing that they should steal from the Aussies, which they stole from uh, Israel, is the must-vote U-turn. Which I'm very surprised Canada hasn't adopted yet, actually. I still haven't seen an episode of The Amazing Race with the Must Vote U-Turn, because the only Australian season I've seen is Season 3, and it didn't have it. Yeah, as I said to you a couple of days ago, when you do the blog about Amazing Race Australia 2, don't spoil yourself on anything if you can help it. In fact, I've seen four seasons of Amazing Race Asia, three seasons of Amazing Race Canada now, one season of Amazing Race Australia, and 26 seasons of the US version. And I have yet to encounter the must-vote U-turn. Yeah, I know you like to watch the end, the start, then the end, then watch the entire episode. Don't do that for Australia too. Just watch it all the way through because it's worth it. I rewatched part of one of the episodes when I was looking for something for Ben earlier in the week, and it's just it's awesome still. Even though I know everything that happens, it's still awesome, even in its worst episodes. Uh, so the blind detour, which is paper or plastic. And in paper, teams must sort waste from a production line to fill two bins, one with plastic and one with other non-paper materials. Once the bins weigh at least 13 kilos, they receive their next clue. And in plastic, teams must dismantle six TVs and harvest all the reusable materials out of them to receive the next clue. If they break any part of the TV, they must begin that TV again. The sad thing is I used to have one of those TVs even as recently as a year and a half ago. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, aren't those modern TVs in Canada? <laughs> What's that about? Listen, I've seen the documentary How I Met Your Mother. I know how Canada actually is. Still jelly bracelets and double denim and skateboarding. I've never seen How I Met Your Mother. Everyone still skateboards in Canada, though, don't they? We still have a skateboard park right in the middle of downtown here in Vernon. Yeah, I mean, we saw Laura and Jackie do it last season as well. Somebody got murdered right by the skateboard park a couple of weeks ago, actually. I thought it was meant to be a sedate retirement town, Vernon. Not in that area. I won't go into the details of that in much more, but yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy story to read in the newspaper, especially with all the circumstances surrounding it. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. It's not, it's, it's not really relevant to an Amazing Race Canada podcast. Well, it is, because Gino and Jesse murdered their casual fan favourite reputation. <laughs> and the TVs were as old as Simi. Probably. That, that would sound... Isn't she 21 or 22? She's a couple years younger than me, I think. Yeah, I think she's... think she's 21, because I think she was younger than me. And maybe my favourite bit of the entire detail was the paper judge laughing at Sean's bath joke. Yeah, because he has no context for the rest of the season, so he thought, oh, this this guy wouldn't really vomit on the assembly line. Uh-huh. And then the producer has to probably take him aside and say, 
Yes, yes he might. Yes he might vomit all over your recycling conveyor belts. Sean's barfing has been one of my favourite bits of the season. I think it's fair to say, spoilers for next week, this won't have been a classic season for us. No. I certainly don't think that we'll be talking about this season too fondly. I mean, the casting was awesome, but the actual season's been not as good as last year. And the only other thing to mention with this blind detour, besides... Ian, the plant supervisor, and Clay, the conveyor belt guy. I mean, why why did we have to know the names of both guys in the blind detour? It's to make up for us not finding out the names of any of the string quartet when Alex Trebek was around. So you think that's retroactive uh, editing that producers, or that the editors did, where they're like, oh, all the fans are complaining that the names of the various uh, locals aren't said on air. I guess we'll have to waste two seconds away from... Opie doing a dance just so we can name those two people and keep them happy. What about Gina and Jesse telling us that they're working class guys? They use tools all the time. They they use tools, eh? Yeah. Yes, because we really actually care. Does that mean they use each other then? Well, yeah, that would work. It would fit their description of what, what they use. And also Sean finds garbage gold, which is shingles. At least it wasn't. Uh, at least it wasn't chicken pox. To get shingles, you've already had chicken pox, I believe, is how it goes. So yeah. So for a pair, they're going to be at a big disadvantage next round then if they have shingles. But seriously, this blind detour, other than Sean's comment about vomiting and Nick's facial expression with trying to unscrew the one TV, his first TV, this was probably as boring as a detour can get on the Amazing Race. I think. The only reason that this task even happened is because the city of Edmonton wanted to promote its environmental goal by making its, itself look good, saying, oh, we're environmentalists. We, uh, we do lots of recycling and we dismantle old TVs every day. That's, that's how I assume the mayor of Edmonton sounds. And What's that about? The Edmonton Eskimos are the backbone of this community. Having been to Alberta, I can pretty much guarantee that that is how they speak. Yes. Um, and it's a super boring detour to have. Recycling. The, the, some of the obvious observations were that, you know, Gino and Jesse have a background in doing stuff and that Brent and Sean made it, made it, made it, made it try to sound exciting that finding roof tiles will, is a huge advantage to have in this task. We're talking about roof tiles. I know that I have a bit of a reputation of bitching about any single bio mistake, but anyone who puts their job in uh, a future bio saying, I do stuff, that will get points from me. Yes, what what is it you do for a living? I do stuff. That's such a Ralph Wiggum answer. You know, stuff. And Eric Albert Erickson says, how far ahead was Simeon Opie and Brendan Sean in the recycling detour? Well, Simeon Opie weren't ahead at all because they left plastic in last. Yeah, they were behind. They were dead last, and Brent and Sean, I it seemed they were the only ones to they were the only ones to do the paper detour, if I'm not mistaken, right? So I think it looked like a even if you knew the description of each detour beforehand, I was just thinking about it and thought, oh yeah, if I knew what the detours were, I would definitely go with the paper because all you're doing is sorting stuff. That's really easy to do. <laughs> it's easy to identify what's garbage. I've had to separate garbage and recycling before uh, at my first job that I had. So I'm thinking that would have been a really quick task. Even the weight that they were talking about where they, I think it was, was it 30 kilograms? 13. 13. 13 kilograms. Yeah, that's, that's not much garbage to find at all. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's not much. That would be a, I think you can pull that off in about 10 to 15 minutes, I would think. So once teams receive their next clue, they have to head to the Ottawa Curling Club, where they will face another double battle. In three seasons of Amazing Race Canada, it's somewhat surprising that it has taken this long to have a curling uh, event. Yeah, curling is, despite the fact that Great Britain were world champions at curling, the women were at least, a couple of years back, I have no interest, honestly. It's quite boring watching it. This seemed like a long face-off to have. Eight, eight rocks. Yeah, 16 stones. Because I've, when I was younger, I have watched a majority of a curling game before. So that'd be what, eight, eight ends is essentially, essentially what that would be. And that's a, that's a, that's a lot of, that's a lot of curling to make people play within the 
confines of the amazing race. Especially Gino and Jesse were the toss 24 rocks all together. Ha! We finally found something that they suck at. I really wish that Simeon Opie could have beaten them, though. But you mean Gino's Samboni experience didn't come into play? Exactly. He five-holed. Despite the fact that it is a very tenuous link to his job, he five-holed. Yes. He has a job working on ice, and he screwed up. So it's not even, it's not even so much five-holing it, cause, because other people have had to do tasks, but it's not close enough to what their actual job is. So with Nick, he had to do blindfolded soccer earlier in the season. That's the Italian Nick, not wrestler Nick. And then, uh, what was the other one? Oh, yeah, Brian and Cynthia, where some of the things they had to do were a bit different from their actual profession. Yeah. But with Zamboning and, uh, and sucking at curling, I think instead of calling it the five hole, it's just the ice hole. In this double battle, two teams must go head to head in a Canadian winter sporting favourites curling. Each team member gets four stones to try and get as close to possible as the centre of the target known as the button. At the end of 16 stones, the teams with a stone closest to the button will receive their next clue, and the other team must wait for their next victim. The last team standing has to wait out a predetermined time penalty, which may actually cause them illnesses from having to actually blow the dust off the yield uh, sand timer before they can receive their next clue. I didn't know it was called the button. So I learned something new by watching Curling on the Amazing Race Canada on Thursday. And it was Brent and Sean versus Gino and Jesse, and then Gino and Jesse versus Nick and Matt, and then Gino and Jesse versus Simeon Opie. We beat them at Curling, and it wasn't Curling Hair, or Curling Iron. The exact quote was, we beat Gino and Jesse at a sport, it wasn't Curling Hair, it was Curling on Ice. I butchered that quote, in other words. Yeah, you did. (laughs) <laughs> but there were some more awesome quotes before that, anyway. We had, we're Italian, we play bocce ball all the time. Oh yeah, they were cited by a bocce ball as the reason for why they do well at curling. Oh man, that that killed me. I'm a pro at bocce ball, by the way. Nick and Matt, Matt are like bears, but we're lions, we're king of the jungle. <laughs> and my personal favourite, which was a very close second for the banner this week was we've been waiting for a little one-on-one match with the two boys for a while. Let's rock! Q, yeah, that's almost the start of every action movie montage ever. Every sports movie montage, for that matter. I think there was a similar scene in Futurama, you know, the Anthology of Interest episode? Yes, I watched that last week. Yeah, where it's the video game one with Pac-Man and Space Invaders and stuff, where Fry's like, I've got <laughs> it's Saturday night. I'm all alone, I don't have a date. Uh, have this one drink in my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. I just love how they synchronize their let's rock. <laughs> yeah. It's the one time this season where I've watched it and gone, that has to be the banner, surely. And then, you know, something better actually came along. But yeah, that was, pretty, that was pretty badass to synchronize the let's rock part and then editors play along by throwing in uh, classic rock music. Uh, yeah in there. At least they had that in the archives. It's too bad that they just couldn't outright play Rush during the curling montage, but but we'll take it. I've said this for a couple of weeks now, Nick and Matt are probably going to win next week. Are you on board with that train yet? I am as of the end of this episode and how much Gino and Jesse got crapped upon by the editors this week. I honestly don't think that Brent and Sean can win in terms of their edit. I think they are purely foils and comic relief with Sean's puking. They're probably going to puke at, oh, he's probably going to puke at least once. Puke all over the finish line. That's the only way that I will approve of Brent and Sean winning is if John Montgomery, you know, at the finish line says, uh, three countries, 20 cities, um, 17,000 mini Johns. Brent Sean, you're the winners of the Amazing Race Canada. Blah. What I want to see is just, you know, when they run past all the eliminated teams and sort of high five them and go, oh my god, we've won! I just want to see, instead of high fiving, Sean just sort of projectile vomit all over them. <laughs> Sean Montgomery and all the racing. Some extra vomit for Gino and Jesse. <laughs> oh, that would just be glorious. But we, we will talk more about that in once we finish this episode, because I suspect we've got quite a lot to talk about next week. Yeah, I can just picture that if Brent and Sean win and Sean does vomit, that, uh, you know, the head producer, Mike Liza Kosky, is just going to be watching from above thinking, Excellent. The vomit will bring in much ratings. And before the double battle, we also need to talk about Cavatage. 
Sabotage. My brother listened to so much Beastie Boys when he was younger that as soon as Nick and Matt, or as soon as I saw the episode title say Cabotage, that's exactly what came to mind for me. And I'm glad that other people out there thought of the Beastie Boys as well, because quite frankly, I, I, I kind of like the Beastie Boys. Yeah, Gino and Jesse decide it'll be fun to steal Nick and Matt's taxi on the way out of the detour, and they offer him $40 for the privilege. And, but Nick and Matt were being so mean to the driver. No, they weren't. They were saying, be loyal for once, damn Albertans. It's funny because the stereotype, if, if you live anywhere else in Canada, Michael, is that Albertans are terrible, terrible drivers. Like, And the stereotype keeps getting reinforced where anytime there's some somebody cuts you off on the road or anything like that, somebody always jokes, oh, I bet it was an Alberta driver. Sure enough, you look at the license plate, and it is. Especially during the summer, it's it's so funny because the stereotype keeps getting reinforced. So not only are Albertans known as bad drivers, but according to the Amazingers Canva, they're also very disloyal drivers too. Alright, on my driving lesson on Wednesday, I nearly got run off the road. There was a, a white van who was basically tried to overtake me on a blind corner where the road was narrowing with on, oncoming traffic at about 20 miles an hour above the speed limit. And my driving instructor actually had to say to me, slam on the brake, because he was that close behind me, I couldn't even see his indicators to say he was going to overtake me. Wow. Yeah. He was what what is commonly known as an arsehole. <laughs> and Simi and OP tell us that there are there is zero curling in Nigeria. They, they need to start a nas- national team, National Olympic Nigerian curling team. If Jamaica can have exactly. a bobsled cool team, it's cool runnings with it too, with Simi and Opie. Oh, can you imagine going from Jamaican bobsledding to Nigerian curling? I, I would, I would definitely watch that, especially if Opie has to play himself <laughs> with his Fred Flintstone curling tosses, which hopefully is a GIF out there. A jeff. A jeff, yes. It will be if I have anything to do with it. It was so Fred Flintstone-y with the, you know, with Fred Flintstone with bowling on tippy toes. You've got Opie trying so hard to try and move along the ice and through a rock. It shows you how little ice there is between here and the rest of uh, southern BC. It's really disappointing that Simeon Opie lost the face-off of the double battle, because they probably would have got third place if they hadn't have lost the double battle. I don't think they were more than about 15 minutes behind Gino and Jesse. Yeah, I would agree with that. That dusty uh, yield uh, timer did them in. And Linda Pierce from Facebook asks, What do you think of Cabgates? Cabotage. Did Simeonofi ever have a chance, or was it just luck that got them to the final four? I'm kind of tired of ever, any sort of controversy in any sort of reality show. Always has to have the suffix gate at the end of it. I think we need to get more creative with con- with the names for controversies uh, after a while. And I would say yes, Simeonofi did have a chance because they were obviously cast for their personalities, especially Opie's. I think it's good that they had an immigrant team. Mm-hmm. Because the closest they previously got was probably Suki and Jinder, who were first generation. What about Nick and Nick and Sabrina? Nick and Sab were born in Canada, and then lived in Italy for a while. Yeah, yeah oh, they okay. they are obviously very Italian Canadian. I think they are first generation Italian Canadian, but also she's lived in the UK. They both lived in Italy. I think they one of them's lived in Spain as well. And Sabrina's got all of her family from Argentina. But yeah, it's, it's nice that we had an immigrant team. Especially with the ending that we got of the episode. It's what annoys me the most is that Simi were left invisible for four episodes, yet whenever they're shown, it's always hilarious and just really entertaining to watch them interact. And uh and this was what was the exact question about Cabotage? Just your overall thoughts on it? Yeah, what are your overall thoughts on Cabotage and do you think Simi actually stood a chance? Yeah, they oh yeah, they definitely did stand a chance because that Oh was it luck that got them to the final four? Well, I mean, they did get saved by a non elimination, so you can't really deny that luck had nothing to do with it. And then uh there was there was one other round where they were pretty much dead as well, but then somebody else took a oh, when Neil and Kristen got eliminated with that two hour penalty. Cena and Opie were supposed were even checked in last place on that round as well and got saved, so I think with Simi Nopi, they seem they they, were, they started to do better actually once they went to India and then came back. They were starting to perform a bit better. Yeah, and also they still don't have the record for the worst average of any team ever to make final four. 
because mm-hmm. I believe that is the last Israeli season that has that record. I believe we had a team who pulled a solid six going into the final four. That is impressive. So with Siminopi, I mean, you could also say they were somewhat saved in the previous round because of Leilani just having the worst day ever, essentially. But, they, I mean, this round definitely proved that with how quick the tasks were and just how much travel there was in between each route marker and just the tasks not even being that difficult, that they were definitely in it this round. Simeon OP's biggest downfall this leg was losing to Gino and Jesse. Not even so much losing to Gino and Jesse, it's having three cabs stolen from them. Yeah, because Gino and Jesse stole their cab again after the double bell. Gino and Jesse steal their cab twice, and Nick and Matt steal their cab once. That's pretty hilarious overall when you think about it, that the Edmonton taxi, you almost think that producers paid off two out of three taxis at each location to just drive elsewhere just to see what would happen as a social experiment when teams uh, check out of the route marker and see there's only one cab and it's not theirs. And if, if they will actually decide to take it to have a chance at being in the final three. And then even better, Brent and Sean steal someone's cab after the roadblock, but then they order their own one for someone, because they're nice like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... Taking somebody else's cab and then calling a new one, you're not really saving them a whole lot of time that way. You're still you're still taking their cab. Yeah, but at least they tried to be nice in some capacity. <laughs> it's like somebody saying, "Oh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kick you in the shin. I'll just kick you in a thicker part of the muscle in the leg, so it doesn't hurt quite as much, but it's still gonna hurt." And teams are then sent to a Petro Canada station to go meet Les in St. Albert to find their next clue. Yes, Les the BP gas station guy has now moved to Edmonton. Uh, and it's an active route info, which is teams have 90 seconds to spend 250,000 Petro points or, or more on food or drink only, Nick and Matt, to receive their next clue. I wonder if it was written in Hindi just to throw Nick and Matt off again. And, surprisingly, no one, Brent and Sean, do it in the first attempt, because you should do this in the first attempt, unless your name is Nick and Matt, who decide to get jumper cables and what look like antifreeze. It's, 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 it's food and drink for a dog. And basically everything they can that is not food or drink. They got 47,250 Petro points. What I find funny about this task is that they go to St. Albert, which I think is some sort of suburb outside of Edmonton, so they drive probably 30 to 45 minutes out to St. Albert for a 90-second task that serves essentially as his commercial as Petro-Canada and then drive 30 to 45 minutes, even more, to the to Fort Edmonton. So they drive all the way out to St. Albert just because they needed a remote Petro gas station that they could shut down for a few hours to film this task. And it just seemed like a big waste of their day to do something that is kind of pointless. <laughs> and also, it's not the worst product placement task we've seen this season. Okay, I'll bite. What is the worst product uh, placement task for the season? Is it the Orange Julius taste test? Yeah, I would say the Orange Julius one. At least that had some sort of difficulty to it, though. This was just uh, just this was just pile a bunch of things on the cart in 90 seconds, and that's it. I mean, the Mentos one is obviously the best one. Well, Nick ate, out, ate all the Mentos. Exactly. Mainly because that got you the screen grab of uh, Cynthia saying, we've been here longer than you, bud. Oh, yeah, that's the best one of the season, yeah. It wins just alone for that. It certainly wasn't as bad as the product placement task we saw in Leg 11 last year. Oh, Dairy Queen Cake. I don't know, I think I think Dairy Queen Cake still ranks higher than Petrol Point. Oh, God, I hated that leg. Well, Kazuki and Ginger went home, that's why. But the Dairy Queen cake, I mean, at least... Yeah, but it was also an awful leg. At least you still have the party and the, you know, the hanging out with all the families and stuff. This was just a closed building that had nothing to do with anything. Just putting food and drink into a cart, take your clue, and you go. And at least with the Taste Orange Julius taste test, at least we have the Sabrina... (laughs) um, (laughs) I don't understand why nobody last season tried out geocaching. Because you could see them. That's the thing. 
I read an interview with the guys who set up the geocaching thing a couple of weeks ago, and they could actually see everyone perform the other task. So it's not like they wouldn't have known where whether everyone else was there or not. It was like round the corner, and it would have been much easier as well because geocaching is awesome. I have never geocached. Neither have I, but I know about it. It's awesome. Uh, and then teams have to find Kelly's Saloon in Fort Edmonton Park to find their next clue. Sounds like the name of a person, Kelly Saloon. Yes. Caution, vlogger ahead. Uh, and it's a roadblock, which is who wants to raise the bar? Note, Brent, Matt and Opie must do this roadblock. Predicted it. Gino and Jesse only ones with the option of one or the other doing it? And in this roadblock, one team member must dress as the saloon's owner, Kelly, learn a script and perform it during a saloon raid scene to receive their next clue. Under the watchful gaze of God, off of Wayne. With the Gino and... Or no, it was with Brent and Sean where... We see the note of, you know, Brent, Brent Opie and, uh... It was Matt Opie and Brent must do this roadblock. Yeah, we see that note on screen very clearly, and then two seconds later, we have Brent saying, well, I guess, uh, I guess I'm gonna do this roadblock, as if there was a choice. He saw the damn note in there, he knows he has to do it. Why act like it's a choice on screen? Did you notice on the way to the roadblock for Gino and Jesse what happened? No. Jesse floored it. He absolutely stacked it, and it was hilarious. He just went head over arse. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I do remember that part now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it brought me such unbridled joy. Oh, classic Grease moment. And also, Jesse was probably my favourite of the roadblock. Gee, sir, I'm speaking in an accent beyond her reign of comprehension. <laughs> None of them were none of them were actors at all. None of them could play the part. They were <laughs> it was like they were just trying to recite lines and not tying into what they were doing whatsoever. Well, Brent at least put some effort into like cleaning yeah, the glasses. Yeah, Brent was probably sense. number one, and everyone else was sort of in a tie for last. Yeah, and Opie also had a wonderful deer in the headlights look. <laughs> that was that was that I think I wrote about that too with Opie's blank expression. <laughs> where he just looks terrified, scared, and frightened all rolled into one. And it was Brent and Sean who left him first, with Nick and Matt in second, Juno and Jesse in third, and Simeon Opie in last. And teams must now head to the pit stop for this leg of the race, which is Muttark Conservatory. The last teams to check in here, for the first time all season, will be eliminated. Which is the first time in 11 legs that we have actually seen a clue that says the pit stop for this leg of the race, the last team to check in will be eliminated. Yeah, I guess they wanted to specify that so viewers didn't think that the... The final four twist was going to happen like we've seen in the past two American seasons. I'm not surprised they haven't brought the final four twist back, because everyone would be expecting it, wouldn't they? Am I the only one with the curling test that got a kick out of Nick playing curling with sunglasses and a bandana on? That had to be a first. And also, at the roadblock, we got to see, to quote Charlotte and Vila, because we haven't done that for two weeks, we got to see some of Nick's cute outfits... This is Nick dressed as Indiana Jones. This is Nick in his wrestling singlet. <laughs> I, I don't know why we saw that montage. I really don't. Yeah, I guess they were just trying to fill time. That's probably the same reason why we got introduced to Clay and Ian uh, during the Blind Detour this week. Or maybe they were just showing it because Nick and Matt are going to win. Possibly. Get behind the wrestling singlets. Get on the wrestling train. Yeah. Um... But with the, and then with the detour as well, with Gino and Jesse, with all the trash talking they do, and even saying things like, oh, pleasure to beat you, and, and stuff like that, and just being completely humiliated. I've been waiting for this all season to just see Gino and Jesse get crushed at a task, because Simi and Opie very nearly beat them. Simi and Opie lost by one stone, and they knocked it out of themselves. It's not even like Gino and Jesse did anything to win that task. Yeah, Simi and Opie beat themselves out of the race, other than the three cabs being stolen, but... Do you think it's kind of hilarious that people want penalties to happen because of teams taking another team's taxi? Yes, I do, because going back again to Amazing Race Australia 2, as Alex Liang pointed out on Facebook earlier, it has happened before that a team has got a penalty because they stole a cab, but that was because another team's bags were removed from the taxi. Not because they stole the cab, it was because they put their hands on another team's belongings. Didn't Tim and Marie physically take out Amy and Jason's bags out of the taxi? No, the driver did. Oh, the driver did. Oh, okay, so that's the loophole. Okay, that makes it even more impressive they pulled that off, because they managed to get through a loophole. I'm always, I always approve of teams who find loopholes that production 
members and editors don't anticipate. Yeah, that was why everyone was going, oh my god, they should have got a penalty. But that was the loophole that they managed to get around to stop them pulling a Joseph and Grace and getting that penalty. Mm-hmm. And even worse, the penalty was assessed on a double-end leg in the middle bit. Oh. So it was rendered completely pointless. But you'll get to that, because that is rather annoying, because it ended up with one of my favourite scenes going. Uh, so, Maria McGuggan on Facebook says, What makes the wrestlers have the right to say bad things about Gina and Jesse about cab stealing when they did the same thing to Simi and Opie? Well, this is pretty much how I compare it to it. With G- Gina and Jesse, as hilarious as it was, it's sort of like the card game Hearts, where as soon as one person plays the heart, then everyone else can just follow suit. With Gino and Jesse, they took the taxi and sort of screwed everything up as opposed to saying, oh, you know, all three, all three of us, none of us really have a taxi, you know, let's, let's call two more taxis or wait together or just let Simi and LP get back into, or let Nick and Matt just use theirs. But when Gino and Jesse take Nick and Matt's cab, suddenly now it's two teams fighting it out for last place. And it's like, well, we none of us none of us want to finish last, and one team sort of screwed us over. So it's every team for themselves now. So I think that's what makes it slightly more acceptable for Nick and Matt to do it. But really, I don't really didn't really care that Nick and or that Gino and Jesse stole a cab in the first place. So that's sort of my answer to it is that Nick and Matt pretty much had to do it because Gino and Jesse. We're into willing to quote unquote play fair with the other two teams. And also, we've been saying this for 11 weeks now. Gino and Jesse are more evil than you think. There is a reason we call them the Voldemort Mussolinis. Yes. And I def- we, didn't, we didn't cross the line by calling them that. <laughs> and I think they've sort of been in on the joke on social media for 13 weeks. On the subjects of someone calling them the Voldemort Mussolini's, I didn't mention this last week because I forgot. If you are the person who edited the Amazing Race wiki from their name of Gino and Jesse to the Voldemort Mussolini's, you are my favourite person in the world. Because I got accused of doing that, and it was not me, but when it was brought to my attention, oh my god, that was the best thing ever. I don't even know who did it. Somebody did. Neither do I, but someone edited Gino and Jesse's Amazing Race wiki page to say, instead of Gino and Jesse are a team of brothers, the Voldemussolini's are a team of brothers. And the thing is, especially after this week, I could see that happening a lot more and the nickname catching on. They have never been very nice people. They are quite bland, they are game bots, they are have one of the worst bios I've ever seen, and that was why I ranted about them in the preview. But they've lived up to everything I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to be horrible. I thought they were going to end up being a casual fan favourite, and they are. Well, not any. they're not the casual fan favourite anymore, and that's the only reason... This is, in, in my eyes, out of all 11 episodes, this is where I liked Gino and Jesse the most, because... They didn't care about having the casual fans on their side. Like, they knew that they could get away with you turning Brent and Sean or you turning Nick and Matt. Neither of those have worked out, by the way, since both of those teams are in the final three with them. At least they knew who their threats, at least they knew who their threats are. But with taking, with taking the cab, knowing that that final spot in the final three was on the line, I'm glad that they did that because it showed that they don't care what the casual fans think. But they're so un-Canadian for doing that. They're so un-Canadian. Yes, that's a, that's another funny thing just from growing up in Canada is that all of the traits that we associate with Americans, as soon as any major Canadian figure or celebrity exhibits any of those American, negative American traits that, that we always joke about through school and through growing up all these years, because Canada has this obsession of, well, not even a set obsession, it's a downright phobia of not looking like an American. So seeing a team pull a tactic that Americans do on the American version of the Amazing Race just out is borderline blasphemous to the casual viewer. So at the pit stop, Brent and Sean win the leg. Yay! Uh, and they win the final spot prize, which is flights to Dubai and two years' worth of petrol. A flight to the Middle East? I don't think that's really been given out as a prize too often on any version of the Amazing Race. I can't, has there been one to the United Arab Emirates before? Not in recent memory, I don't think. Someone will probably correct us, but... Yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. This is a challenge. This is a challenge to all the listeners. If there has been any version of the Amazing Race that has awarded a prize to Dubai or Abu Dhabi, uh, 
please let us know, or any other location in the Middle East, maybe Kuwait, maybe Oman, I don't know. And is this greeter the most enthusiastic we've seen for a long while? Go teams! Yeah, she was very exuberant. I found out afterwards her name's Brooke, she's a... In case you didn't guess, she's a cheerleader for the Edmonton Eskimos. What? She's a cheerleader for the Edmonton Eskimos? Yes, she was all over the social medias. She wasn't pissed off that they didn't introduce her by first name. We get to know Clay, the assembly line manager, and Ian, the recycling guy, but we didn't get to know Brooke, the cheerleader. Nick and Matt were second. Uh, Gino and Jesse were third, and Simeon Opie were... Oh, their run finally came to an end, and they were last place. Cue the overdramatic music. I'm going to defend them here. That that montage was pretty good. They did a montage for Suki and Jinder as well, which was totes and moats. And for Jet and Dave, actually. This seems to be a running joke for the penultimate leg. Because they were so cl- close yet so far. But with Simi and Opie, it's, yeah, it's great they got the montage, and Opie's speech was great, but oh my god, that music was way... Way, way too much. And also, may I point out, they would have been the first male-female team ever to reach the final three in an Amazing Race Canada. Really? Yeah, yes. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, that's true. Because it was two male males and and one female female, and then exactly the same last season. And this season, it's all male male. Which has never happened in the US version, but upon further research, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but it's happened in two of the Latin American versions? Yep, three and four. Both male male because I did do the research after the last podcast to check whether I was going to be right if this happened. So next time, wait, we, we're not gonna we're not gonna say farewell to Simi and Opie. I think we've done it quite a lot in this episode. I would just I just want him to at the reunion show call Gino and Jesse a dirty muskrat and and with Opie's accent that would that would, that would make my day. But I know that Simi and Opie aren't you know they're not gonna really hold grudges and all four teams. Surprise, surprise, got along perfectly fine during the race, given the whole nature of this cast. So, come to think of it, I don't think there's any... This is the first season in a while that there's no bad blood or resentment between any of the teams. Not even not even a little bit. Yeah, I have just one request for anyone involved in next week's After the Race special. Please, 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 can someone call Gino and Jesse the Voldemort Mussolini's? Hashtag it. Yeah, hashtag it. It doesn't even have to be hashtagged on the screen. Just please someone say it. In the audience, if the audience question were, you know how the, how in the mid-season recap, so they've had audience questions that they approve of. They always have to approve it before they start filming. But when the person asks the question, like they could tell a producer saying, oh, yeah, I have this question for Gino and Jesse. And here's my question. It's going to be it's going to be about the cabotage incident. And then when they're given the microphone. The person can stand up and say, yeah, I've got a question for uh, all the Mussolini's. Uh, <laughs> why'd you steal Simi and Opie's cab? You bastards. <laughs> you bastards. <laughs> uh, so yeah, next time, teams travel to two places very familiar to me. Whistler and Vancouver, British Columbia. Yep. Nope. I was just I was just in Vancouver last, about as of five days ago, I was in Vancouver. Yeah, and basically this time last year, I was in Vancouver and Whistler. Mm Mm-hmm. That is true. And teams cycle along BC Place's roof, pop some champagne, and ski jump into water, where one team will walk away with a lot of prizes. Yeah, so the BC, they're in BC Place, so yeah, that's right on, that's right near Granville, yeah, that was... Oh, back-to-back years where I've been, where I'm pretty much there all weekend long. Yeah, BC Place was, what, five minutes walk from my hotel? About that? Yeah. It was visible Maybe, from my Yeah, it was really, yeah, a really short walk. I've never been inside of there, but I have walked around it plenty of times. For viewers out there who don't know, I was born about 40 minutes outside of Vancouver. And also, it was known as the Rockets Arena in Arrow last season. Fun fact. And is also the Starlabs from The Flash. She's also filmed in Vancouver. So... What do we think is going to happen next week? Well, if I'm seeming Opie, I'm going to be super pissed that I missed out on a leg in Vancouver and Whistler, given that they live in Burnaby, which yeah, I was, is... I was going to say, aren't they from Burnaby? <laughs> it's essentially, it's like Vancouver Minor, essentially. Like, the big skyscrapers you see all clustered together when you fly into Vancouver, uh, I believe that's pretty much Burnaby right there. It's 
they have the Electronic Arts headquarters there. It's a uh, yeah, it's uh, right right in Vancouver, pretty much. The last place you go through on the train from Alberta. But yeah, so if I'm seeing Opie, that that was that's why I say that they had a shot because not only uh, for some reason with Gino and Jesse, they they either finish in first place or they finish in next to last, and there's never really been any middle ground with them all season long. I think this was their third time avoiding elimination. Third time, yeah, finishing next to last, and that's and then finishing in first on four legs. So, you know, that's that's pretty inconsistent racing. And then with Siminopi, they could have barely survived again, and then they would have had the final leg right where they live, which would have been a huge advantage, especially in a city as big as Vancouver. And for anyone who has never been to Whistler, I will say this now. Teams will be driving to Whistler, they will be walking or cycling after that. Whistler Mm -hmm. is super small. Yeah. I don't know where the finish line is, but I would bet any money that it is somewhere in the Rockies, because there is no way they will have been able to hide a finish line anywhere in Whistler that isn't up in the mountains. Any place. It's so small. I mean, you can walk it in 10 minutes, I would say, from one end to the other. So any flags that are hidden there, they will have been seen. And this is probably why apparently the final three was spoiled. Well, no kidding. If you have it in a tiny place that's also a major tourist attraction, like this was filmed in May, so this would have been with, well, tourist season really is all year round in Whistler, but, you know, you're not going to... Not gonna be able to hide anything there, that's for sure. I did know that Whistler was the finish line location because obviously everyone's seen it. So I'm not surprised by Whistler being there. I knew they'd come from Vancouver. But mm-hmm. it's just so small. I don't understand where they'll hide the finish line because we didn't see a shot of the finish line, bear in mind as well. Which they do usually end the preview with. Mm-hmm. So here's my here's my question, Michael. Now that all the locations are public and we know everything that they've been to for the every place they've been to for the first three seasons, do you think next season will pick up with international travel? Because Edmonton was the last provincial slash territorial capital that the race had never been to, and they visited this week. So they've tapped out all their major cities, excluding some of the suburbs in Ontario. There, you know, I mean, this is already the next week is already going to be the sixth round of Amazing Race Canada that takes place within BC. You think they're out of locations by this point, don't you think? Yeah, I would be very surprised if we don't see more international legs. Because they've even ticked off the First Nations thing, which (laughs) was the reason that I thought they were hanging on to doing four international legs rather than more. Because I thought they'd probably end up doing a First Nations themed leg before they did proper international travel. We saw that in Saskatoon, which is one of the highlights of the season purely for Brenton Jones' entrance. But I would be shocked if we don't see even it going up to half and half. Yeah, I think for me, it'd have to be at least seven legs, seven or eight legs international for next season. Anything lower than that will be a huge, 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 huge disappointment to the point that I may even consider not really watching it if it's going to be another eight Canada legs because they're going to have to repeat cities. Like the only places that they haven't really been to that I can think of you know, the Queen Charlotte Islands, which go by a new name now, which I have forgotten. I can never see the Highway or Highway Islands or whatever they're called. And pretty much the only location I can think of that they haven't visited in Canada that's a, any sort of significant region. Or northern Quebec. It'd be, if anything, it would just be a northern race next year. And those are all very, very remote cities that you, you can't really get to easily. With the international legs, they will probably... Do go back to the strong Canadian links because mm-hmm. this season's international legs weren't as strong a connection as last season's. No, so I suspect that we will see some Commonwealth countries, we will probably see the UK. And just in case Mike Bickerton and anyone else is listening, please make me the greeter because I won't say anything. We'll probably see the antipodes, we'll probably see Australia at least, maybe New Zealand as well. Maybe an African leg because we've not seen Africa. Go to Nigeria, go to Nigeria. Strong Canadian connection. Yeah, there'll probably be some sort of African leg. Maybe even Namibia because Namibia seems to be the cool location that they seem to be doing with the Windhoek animal sanctuaries that they seem to be visiting recently. China's been there, Australia was there, we saw the US go there as well. I'd be quite surprised if we see too much in Asia because we've seen Asia both seasons. Mm-hmm. So I'd be, I think we'll probably see maybe half and half, but there'll be some international legs that are Commonwealth legs, I think, next season. Yeah, like if they just keep reusing the same cities over and over. And just go to, like I was saying before, did I say this last week where when they were going through the South Okanagan, it almost tipped me off that that 
if they want to stick with Candlelake, so that's almost going to be their future where for next season where they just drive along the some one of the highways in one of the provinces and just hit up these smaller towns and not even do anything interesting. It's more of just a checklist to because they know these smaller towns will pay tens of thousands of dollars to be showcased on the Amazing Race Canada to bring in tourism. Or in the case of uh, the Magdalen Islands, millions of dollars. Oh, yeah, the Magdalen Islands with humiliating uh, kayaks for some reason. Um, so who do you think is going to win? Because you can tell me now you're not going to win the pool anyway. Yeah, well, Dijon Leilani sort of screwed up my whole winner's edit thing, so so I said going into this week it was going to be Gino and Jesse, but they got slaughtered in the edit for this week. They got probably the most un-Canadian edit we've ever seen. Yes, because they even get, like, usually fans are like, oh, the, the team is so whiny, or that team is whiny, but Gino and Jesse got the, you know, the... Got the Uncanadian edit, which is pretty much the worst edit you can get on the Amazing Race Canada, so I don't think they can win. Brent and Sean have been getting the fan favorite all edit all along. It's tough to picture them winning either. Called it. Yeah, which was very evident from before the season began that they were gonna, they were bound to make it far, but they weren't going to win. They, they were pretty much gonna be the, almost a season long comedic relief. I'm not, what surprises me is that they're not anywhere near the top of the fan favorite poll. I don't know how that happened. They're not even top five, I don't think. I think it's Dane and Amanda, Gino and Jesse, Nick and Matt, and Neil and Kristen that are top five. That'd be four. But... Oh, that Dane named four? <laughs> um, Siminopi might be up there. Yeah, oh, I, I can count about as well as John Montgomery right now. The thing that makes me laugh more than anything with this top three is that Nick and Matt are technically the underdogs. They have won the least legs of any team. But they have the best average. But they have the best average, and in fact, the only way Gino and Jesse can reclaim the best average is if they win the season and Nick and Matt come third. So they're really, those two teams are really close on average then, just because Gino and Jesse, despite being next to last three times, they've won so many legs to counterbalance that, and Nick and Matt have just been consistent around second or third right in the middle there, so... So the two averages are really close. Yeah, Nick and Matt have an average of 3. Gino and Jesse have an average of 3.18, as it stands. Brent and Sean is 3.82. So they're all pretty... This is one of the most, the one of the shortest or smallest amount of deviations between three teams in terms of average, then. Yeah, th- this is the rare occasion that the top three of the season is the top three in average, and that is how it will stay. Uh, Simeon OP finished on 5.27. So we have another... Th- Question from Linda Pierce, who says, Looking at the preview for next week's show, the bike challenge looks scary. At what point do you say, no way am I doing that, and take the penalty? Never? Never is a good answer in the final leg, because then you become Hussein and Natasha. Yeah, and that's, and when, you know, with the season premiere and the season finale, those are the two highest rated episodes in terms of viewership. That's when everybody in Canada is going to be watching. And by everybody, I mean more than 10% of the population, which is, which still just blows my mind. But everybody's going to be watching, and you don't want to be Hussein in Amazing Race Asia 4. All they had to do was cross a tower, do an easy memory task, and the finish line was right there. And they win the race, and then Hussein... Bustles it. And then Hussein, yeah, just forfeits the task, takes the four-hour penalty, and suddenly they finish the season in dead last. So if you... And he just got a bad rap for that, as well as from me, deservedly so. So, to do this in Amazing Race Canada, where you go to, when you're in the second-to-last task of the season, and you're in first place, and you say no to it, you're going to get a lot, a lot of heat for it. I would say that if I got up to BC Place and saw that it was a roadblock that involved biking of some description, I would tell my partner to do it. Because I would suspect that... I actually think the final memory challenge is going to be a roadblock this year because it looks like that ski test to me. And think of it this way. How awesome is it going to be to bike around on the top of BC Place? That's not something you can exactly pay to do. No, but it would be scary as hell. And I'm not great with the fear of falling anyway. <laughs> you mean you're not like Dana, or you're not like Adrian from Amazing Race 16? Adrian! Yeah, so I would obviously tell my partner to do it now, but it wouldn't shock me 
if I ended up getting a horrible task as the last one as well. Are they, is there even is there even going to be a memory challenge in the finale? Because we've seen that they showed a lot in the preview and nothing indicated any sort of memory task. I've heard a rumor, which is that it will be, or that we've seen the shape or the outlines of provinces and countries and territories in some of the clues. Oh, right, you were, t- you were saying that before. That sounds way too easy. That does sound way too easy, and in fact there was a shot of Matt in front of what looked like a world map, which would surprise me if it was that, but that ski challenge in the preview just looks like a memory challenge to me. It looks like the sort of thing that they would hide, like 14 surfboards, it looks like the sort of thing that they'd have designs on. Yeah, but with the ski thing, it looks like almost identical to the Utah task in the Masonry State Family Edition, where they just, you know, just go off the ramp there. Yeah, what I think, obviously I don't know anything about the challenges, what I think it's going to be is order these 12 skis and then pick up your skis and take your clue down the ramp. Skid it shined up and get a piece of juicy fruit, the taste is going to move you? Yeah, pretty much. So I actually think, after my request last week that to have the final memory challenge be a roadblock, I think they might actually be acting on that. Because hmm. I was thinking what they might do is have the BC place roadblock as a task and then... Do the you know ski off the jump there as a, the other roadblock, and then have the memory task be a team challenge. But I, but you might be right. The memory challenge, if there is one, will be in the mountains somewhere. It has to be. But it looked to me like BC Place is obviously a roadblock. I'm assuming the ski task is another roadblock. It's whether that has a component that is a memory challenge or whether it's just get this gondola up, find two skis that match match yours, and go down. And also. This is the first time in Amazing Race Canada history that all the teams have won a leg going into the final three. The streak is over with Tim and Tim and Mickey and Pete. So, anything else to add about this leg and eulogize Simi and Opie? Hashtag proud to be Canadian. Uh, yeah, Simi and Opie were awesome. Wish we got shown more of them. Opie's Twitter pick with the sombrero, still a beloved favorite of mine. Casual fans are hilarious and bring on the finale. Let's rock! You're going to have so much fun with the casual fans this week, aren't you? Yes. I look forward to Logan's blog every week for the casual fan comments, but just looking at the pages, we keep, I think you're going to get the best one of, all, of the season. It just looks like so much fun. And it's going to be so disappointing when you can't do these for America. Because <laughs> America doesn't allow post to page, it's only comments. At least the comment section will still be fun. I don't think it'll be as fun as the Canadian one, though, because the Canadians take their race very seriously. Yeah. So... Thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back next week for our final Amazing Race Canada podcast on Friday before we begin our Amazing Race 27 coverage next Sunday. If you enjoyed the show, and even if you didn't, please subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a like on the YouTube video. And if you want to see what we're rambling about this week, our Twitters are in the description as well. Also in the descriptions are our interview with last season's standout characters Mike and Rochelle, and also our preview show for Amazing Race 27. Thank you again. Hashtag 250, hashtag superkuwaki, hashtag yankast. Peace. Let's rock. Let's build a shower out of rocks.